0: You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Um, We're recording a little later than we usually do. Today is May eighth, VE Day for my history buff, uh, fellow history buff, Ravens flock members out there. Victory in Europe Day, ending Second World War, seventy-five years ago today. Um, Anyway, today is May eighth, two thousand twenty, and we have a lot of Ravens news to cover, even though we're in the dead of the off season here. We got our schedule released last night. The Ravens made two roster moves over the past couple days, or. Over the past couple of weeks, I should say. Um, And we have a story involving one of Baltimore's most prominent players. I guess you could call it a domestic violence dispute. We'll get right into that right away. But first, I want to remind you all to, wherever you're listening to the podcast, rate the podcast, follow the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, whatever you're doing. If you're on iTunes, of course, it'd be stars. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe. Um, Helps us out quite a bit. And it, of course, gives us feedback. We wanted to make sure that this podcast is the best it can be for our listeners out there. Um, and I always appreciate you guys listening every single week. Um, I mean, I really do. So give it a thumbs up. Give it a rating. Uh, let us know. Tweet us at Nest Talk. You can find me at Chris ChrisLynnFun. And of course, you can find the Baltimore Feather at more Feather. Tweet us there. Follow us. And you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search up Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk. Um, and finally, go to BaltimoreFeather.com Sign up for the email news list. You'll get some articles in there once in a while in this offseason. Even though it's going to be pretty much dead, you'll get a couple articles in there, maybe a week. Um, So yeah, without further ado, let's head straight into the Earl Thomas story. So this is the player I'm alluding to, Earl Thomas, um, prominent Ravens member. He was a former Legion of Boom member with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, For those of you that don't remember that or weren't paying attention back then to the Seattle Seahawks. I guess really the entire NFL because, I mean, who didn't know the Legion of Boom? It was one of the best defenses we've ever seen, mainly in the secondary. You had Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor. You had even Bobby Wagner at inside linebacker. I mean, it was just stacked, and Earl Thomas was one of them. He was kind of that guy who would sit in the middle, pick off the ball. Um, So he's a very prominent player. Ravens got him last year on a three-year deal, Uh, and here he is now. In a situation the Ravens are not that happy about. Now I will tell you I don't really there's no criminal charges I don't think that can be placed on Earl Thomas based on the facts we know so far. Um, but essentially the gist of the story is it's kind of twofold. So for those of you that didn't see the TMZ report or my my um, summary of the TMZ report on Baltimorefeather.com, the Earl Thomas story essentially boils down to to two parts. So the first part is that his wife finds him cheating on her at about... It was really early in the morning, a while ago, actually. So it's about 3.40 in the morning on April 13th, okay? So this is, what, three, almost four weeks ago at this point, since the TM, before the TMZ article even drops. Um, and, you know, we, we found out that something was going to happen with Earl Thomas beforehand because he takes to Instagram and basically says, you know, there's a TMZ article that's going to come out on me... Uh, I just want to get ahead of the curve here, and basically say that something happened and everyone's okay, and I'm just asking for your prayers. So that kind of alerted every everybody in the Raven circles, um. You know. But um, Earl Thomas, so he comes out, does that the TMZ report drops, and so he's caught with his by his wife cheating. Okay. He's in bed with another woman, and his brother's apparently involved. I'm not getting into the details of this. I'm not going to make moral judgments on him either. I'm just going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you how I feel about these issues. It's not my job. It's not my position to make moral judgments about him. But essentially, he is found cheating with his wife. And his wife kind of gets a little crazy at this point. And now she says she wanted to scare him. um, And I guess, well, I guess she did because she pulled out a gun on him. But she supposedly, according to the police report, supposedly believed the gun was empty. Now, this is a 9mm Beretta. This is Earl Thomas's 9mm Beretta she took. Um, and she's she's pointing at, it at his head, about a foot away from his head, I believe the report said, uh, holding him at gunpoint, really. I mean, she is completely belligerent to Thomas, and understandably so, right? But at this point, she's definitely crossing the line, threatening to kill Earl Thomas, essentially. Um, and that gun is, is a foot away from his head. Now, Earl Thomas is, oh, well, first of all, she again, she believed that the gun was unloaded, but in fact, the gun was loaded, the safety was disengaged, and her finger was on the trigger. So that's how delicate the situation is, okay? And that's really how lucky Earl Thomas is even to be alive on May 8th this, this morning, um, because if his wife even accidentally pulled the trigger, even didn't, is actually thought that there was no bullet in the chamber, right? Yet she Almost certainly would have killed Earl Thomas had she fired that gun. But Earl Thomas wrestles the gun away from her. Essentially, the police show up, um, and it's it's an insane scene. Um, and I believe the wife is taken into custody. Earl Thomas has no charges pressed against him. I it's I don't believe it's it's a it's a state crime in Florida or wherever this took place to to cheat on your wife. Regardless of what you want to say about the morality of that, it's it's not a it's not a, a criminal issue. Uh, but it certainly is a criminal issue to point. A gun at somebody's head, a loaded gun, nonetheless, and try to hold them hostage like that. So she ends up uh, with charges. I don't know if Earl Thomas is gonna is has pressed char. I don't. I don't know. I don't know that part. I don't know what he's gonna do with her. Um, you know, I I don't know. I'm not gonna speculate on that. So that's the crux of the story. But another th- interesting facet about the story is that. You know, in response to the TMZ story, the Baltimore Ravens released a statement to some members in the media, including Jeff Zrebek of The Athletic, who I highly recommend you follow. He's probably one of the best Ravens beat reporters in the game. So Jeff gets this memo from the Ravens basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, we've learned of the situation last night. Um, and thats I mean, I guess that's basically it. We've learned of the situation last night. That means Earl Thomas did not report this incident to the Ravens. Now, is he under any obligation to do so? I don't know. I don't know what his contract is it holds. I'd have to look at the contract and, and understand the language in that contract. But, from my understanding, most players will let NFL teams know if there's any incident they're involved in before it reaches the media, unless the incident occurs and the media knows before he can even reach the NFL team. So, if let's say let's let's say i don't know joe flacco when he was playing for the ravens was to punch you know somebody in the media and th- that guy tweeted it out right you know th- that's not i you could see why the, the media would would get to the ravens first before flacco but this is 3 almost 4 weeks ago I mean, this is a quite a long time ago. Earl Thomas did not report this to Ravens, from our understanding. Maybe only a few high-up Ravens knew, not the PR people. Maybe maybe Eric D'Costa and John Harbaugh and Steve Bishotti knew, but nobody else knew. I mean, but the impression is, at least, that the Ravens as a whole did not know. And if that's the case, it's not a great look for Earl Thomas. Now, what do I think is going to come out of this? Um for Earl Thomas. Not much, to be honest with you. I don't think that the Ravens will take any disciplinary action on Earl Thomas. I don't think it's... I mean, I, I, I really don't think it's that necessary. I think this is a private matter between him, his wife, at least anything that Earl Thomas was involved... I mean, anything you could say that Earl Thomas was at fault for in this scenario, essentially just cheating on his wife, that's a private matter between him and his wife. I don't think the Ravens should really get involved in making that any sort of... Um, punishment towards him. Now, if it came out that Earl Thomas severely beat his wife or some ridiculous thing like that, then the Ravens should make a a judgment and inflict a penalty on him. But that is not the information we have. All we know at this point is that Earl Thomas cheated on his wife and Earl Thomas was held at gunpoint for it by his, his very angry wife. But I mean, there does not seem to be any criminality in, in any of Earl Thomas' actions here, so I don't think the Ravens really have any obligation, really any right at this point to suspend him for this. You know, this is again, this is a private matter between him and his wife. I don't so far as Earl Thomas' actions are considered at least. So you know, the Ravens are probably gonna stay out of this. Some someone asked me, um, whether or not they would trade him. I mean, if they thought the situation was something that would continue to cause problems for Earl Thomas. I guess they could trade him, but, I mean, his salary is kind of high. I don't, I don't know what kind of trade they would get for him, and plus I would leave them in kind of a weird limbo at safety. So I don't believe they'd trade him. They're definitely not going to cut him. They'd lose quite a bit of money in the salary cap if they cut him. I think the dead cap is somewhere around 10 I have to check it, but somewhere around like $10 million for this year if they cut him. Which would be, they'd have to essentially cut another player. They'd have to waive another player to waive him as well. It, it'd just be so, uh, such a stupid financial move. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not like you know the NFL. The NFL's not going to hand him down a suspension. I'm telling you that right now. So there's no reason to make any sort of action like that at the present time. So that's the Earl Thomas situation. Honestly, he's kind of lucky to be alive this morning um, in all seriousness. Now, of course... Um, I want to talk about the two signings before we head into the real meat of this episode, which is going to be the schedule release. But um, the Ravens made a couple signings over the past two weeks here. The first one they made is for Seahawks offensive guard DJ Fluker. Okay, so DJ Fluker is a former first-round pick, uh, 2013 NFL draft first-round pick. He's a guard from Alabama. Nick Saban down there coached him well. Um, he was drafted by, uh, who was it, the, at the time, I don't think it was lost. yeah, no, it was the San Diego Chargers at the time. Um, and he played there for four years, started 59 games, but was released in 2017. Then he was signed by the Giants on a one-year deal, um, had some injuries there, started six games at right guard, but then he injured his toe, um, and then he was placed on the injured reserve. In week 11. So he had one after that one year stint in New York. Um, he ended up signing with the Seattle Seahawks in 2018. He started nine of the Seahawks games, earned a two year extension, um, and then started 14 games in 2019, but was cut this year as a salary cap casualty maneuver. So, I mean, that was like a couple days before the Ravens even signed him. So what's interesting about Fluker is, well, first of all, the Ravens have a, a couple spaces they need to fill on the offensive line. We know that Bradley Bozeman, left guard, not always last year, was was the best solution, but I have faith in him uh, long-term. Matt Skura obviously coming off a knee, a really brutal knee injury, ACL, PCL, and MCL all in one shot. I mean, he might not be healthy by week one, so maybe Fluker could fit there. And, of course, you have the left guard position, which is essentially a complete battle royale right now, free-for-all. Anybody can take it if they want it. They just got to play hard enough. Um, And we'll see who comes out on top there. But, you know, Fluker's a very versatile offensive lineman. He can play tackle. He can play guard. Um, So he's kind of going to fill almost that James Hurst role. If you guys remember James Hurst, obviously he got cut earlier this season. He didn't do enough for the Ravens to stay. I'm sorry, this offseason. He didn't do enough for the Ravens to stay on the team. But Fluger would fill that role. I don't think we have um, his contract just yet. I'll check spot Track right now on this because this was a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I don't think we have his... Yeah, we don't have his contract still. Um, but you got to believe it's not that much because he was a salary cap casualty um, not too long ago. So fluger is going to come in and compete. Um, for the left guard, not left guard position. For the right guard position, maybe for center, and I mean maybe even left guard if they don't want Bradley Bozeman there anymore. But right guard is going to be the big issue since Marshall Yonda retired, and you know you can't replace Yanda. Um, it's not really that possible. But he's going to have competition there, which is the good thing. When you have these these really unproven players, okay, you need a veteran presence in there. That's that's going to give you someone to rely on if none of them. You know, really pan out. Now those players are going to be Ben Powers, who we drafted in the fourth round last year. They're going to be Tyree Phillips, the guard we drafted in the third round this year, and Ben Bredesen, the Michigan guard we drafted in the fourth round this year. So one of these four players is going to be the right guard. I don't see the Ravens bringing in another um, guard to come look at this position. I mean, I just don't see it. It doesn't make any sense at this point to do that again. They already did that in Fluker. So, if I had to pick anybody at this moment who I thought would be kind of the front runner for this position, it'd be Fluker. Because Fluker, you know, he's been around the block, he knows his way, Um, he's done well. I've heard from some Seahawks people that he's a great run blocker. Not so great pass rusher, but great run blocker. doesn't matter as long as he can block the run for this offense. That's what the Ravens are going to want. He's physical. Um, So, this is the kind of player I think that's going to have the edge over the rookies but if anybody's going to get cut, I don't think it's going to be the rookies. I don't think the Ravens would even consider cutting Phillips or Bredesen. What at, in, in just one year? So either you know, I mean, because this is a lot of guards here. So someone might get IR stashed. Someone might get cut. Um, and If anybody's going to get cut, I, I believe it'd be Ben Powers because you know you've already had a year to evaluate him. So we'll have to see what happens here. But the one other point I want to make about this signing, which is interesting, um, is back right at. I think on the final day of the draft, someone was asking um, Brian McFarland of Russell Street Report, who handles Ravens' salary cap matters, okay, how this would would deal with the comp pick formula. And he essentially said that the Ravens would, um, and all teams really, would um, would have... Would would uh, I, I can't speak today. The Ravens would count against any signing the Ravens made would count against the salary cap. Not the salary. Blah, I am so sorry. It's it's early in the morning for me here. Any sa- any any signing the Ravens made. There we go. Any signing the Ravens make after Monday, April twenty seventh would not count against the compensatory pick formula for the twenty twenty one NFL draft. And we know the Ravens want their comp picks they want those comp picks, they use them as draft capital, they use them as capital to move around with trades, Just, it's just how they do things, they want the comp picks, now the Ravens since they signed him on Tuesday, the Tuesday after the draft, the 28th this signing does not count against a comp pick formula, so any other signing to to this date the Ravens make would not would also not count against the formula any outside signing at least, so I don't know if the, the the next guy we're going to talk about would, would because he's being re-signed, but we'll talk about that in a second. So the Ravens here are going to presumably get um, another comp pick out of this. Well, not get one, just not lose one, um, which they would have lost if, if they had signed Fluker maybe in the first week of free agency. So this is a good move for the Ravens. They get a salary cap casualty player who's a pretty good player. They get to keep a comp pick formula and they get competition inside the right guard position so overall, I think this is a win-win for the Ravens here. Now, the second move we want to talk about is the Ravens went out and they re-signed a familiar face who's been in Baltimore for a while. Well, he's had a couple stints. This is his second stint in Baltimore. It's Prunell McPhee. Now, everybody remembers Prunell McPhee from 11 to 14 in those years. Um, had a couple good years in there. Signed with the Chicago Bears. And his career kind of declined after that through injuries. Now, Prunell McPhee last year re-signed in Baltimore. I and mean, people weren't sure whether or not he actually makes the team. He makes a team. He really ends up starting at the, the opposite end of Matt Judon. Okay? And he does well. He su- Surprisingly, he does pretty well. Um, three sacks, 17 solo tackles. What was it? Seven se- tackles for loss. Six quarterback hits. You know, a pretty good season for, you know, Pernell McPhee. He had not started a game since 2017. And here he comes in Baltimore. And he's doing pretty well. And then he gets injured, and the Ravens' pass rush, which already wasn't that great, I mean, you know, Pernel McPhee was okay, um, starts suffering quite a bit. And it's only Judon back there who's doing the best he can, but when you only got one pass rusher, you're not, you know, striking fear in the eyes of the opposing quarterback when you've only got one pass rusher. It's just that, you know, it's it's not going to work like that. Um, So that was an issue for the Ravens. Now... Before Pernell McPhee signed back, okay, before he signed back, you had to look at this roster and you had to go, who on earth is going to sign? Who on earth is going to go on the opposite side of Judon? Is it going to be um, Tyus Bowser? I mean, he, he he took strides last year, but is he even ready to start? It's going to be Jalen Ferguson, our second round pick or second pick, third round pick last year, and you know he he did well, okay, he did well, he set the edge well, but I don't know if he's ready to really be an impact starter. Is he going to be one of these undrafted free agents? I kind of hope not. I, I hope the Ravens don't have to rely on them, unless they're, like, amazingly good. One of these guys, like John Dacker or something like that. Um, so, or they even got to bring somebody else in. I mean, that's a possibility. I want to discuss that possibility of still bringing somebody else in. But, you know, it it just seemed like the Ravens had to do something after the draft because they didn't draft. I don't think they drafted in, in, in a, a pass rusher at all. Um, so there's no pass rush help in the draft, which is something I thought all of us thought the Ravens would do, whether it be A.J. Epinesa in the first or somebody in the seventh round. The Ravens were going to do something with the pass rush, they didn't. They had other plans this draft, which I'm fine with. Overall fine with the other plans. I loved some of the picks, like James Prochet first of all, that's at that pick. And Duvernay too. Those two wide receivers we picked, I can't wait to see them on the field. But back to, back to um, our pass rushers here. You know, Um, I thought something would have to happen. I thought it might be Pranel McPhee, and I was right. It was Pranel McPhee. They did bring him back. I believe it's a one-year deal. Yes, it's a one-year deal. Um, and overall, I like the signing. It helps the Ravens out. They bring somebody back who's familiar with the team, and ultimately, they're going to get the help they need. Now, will Pranel McPhee make this a premier pass rushing core? Probably not, but he will bring stability to, to the defense. He will bring that veteran presence that's needed opposite Judon. He'll be able to help some of the younger guys kind of progress. You know, lead by example kind of thing. I'm not asking him to teach the younger guys. I'm just asking him to lead by example. And we know he's, he's a great guy. He's been around this organization for a while. So overall, I like the signing. I wanted it to happen. I don't know if it counts against the comp pick formula. Because the re-signing, it might act differently. Then the Fluker signing, so I don't know specifically. That's a question for somebody else, an expert on the comp pick formula. But I will say that overall, I really like the signing. I really like it. I think bringing him back just overall is a great move for the Ravens. Now, that's all the free agency news we have, but I want to discuss one possibility. The Ravens bringing in another pass rusher. It's not that far out of reality here i mean it it could happen now will it happen honestly probably not at this point the ravens have what is it like barely any salary cap look at 8.8 million for the rest of the year i mean like they have room for maybe a signing of of six million of five million a year um so that's not great if you're looking for a pass rusher. Because we're going to go through some of these these free agents here. Because this is really, still, I think it's still a position the Ravens can upgrade at. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to cut Pernell McPhee. It means, you know, you would, I mean, actually ultimately cut one of the undrafted guys. But there's still some good players on, on the market here. And it doesn't make sense to me that some of these guys on the edge have not been picked up. I mean, first of all, Jadavian Clowney is still out there. How on earth everybody thought that Clowney would be You know, signed by somebody by now. Now, I think what hurts him the most is going to be kind of that lousy season last year. I'm not going to lie. It was a lousy season for Clowney. I mean, this is why, even back in the day, before I even talked about um, football, NFL, out on Twitter or anything, really, I still thought Clowney would not be the best pick for number one overall. Um, I feel like I was kind of right. Only three sacks and, and 21 tackles last year in 13 games. Not great. He doesn't really, I don't think that merits him a high contract at all. I don't, I, I think that, you know, he he's evaluating himself higher than he's worth. Okay, he's not Khalil Mack. He's not Aaron Donald here. He's Jadavion Clowney, a disappointing player, Got a couple good years, and that's about it. All right, unfortunately, it's unfortunate to say it, but it's true. Okay, so Clowney probably is looking for a deal more than he can get. But there are other guys on the, you know, well, first of all, before I move on to the other guys, just to mention that he's going to have to either settle for something or he's going to be a free agent for the rest of the year because he's not getting the deal he wants. There's no way. Seattle's not going to pay him a ridiculous amount to come back. The Ravens are not going to pay him a ridiculous amount. There's nobody that's going to pay him a ridiculous amount. And if you're a free agent by May 8th today, you've got issues. Okay? You have issues signing with a team, and you're going to have to find out a way to deal with them. But anyway, clowny here. So, there are other free agents on the market as well. We got Everson Griffin, a guy I thought that would have signed by now. Ezekiel Ansa, you know, not the best player available anymore. Michael Bennett, you got. But you got also guys at Clay Matthews. Maybe the Ravens want to take a flyer on Clay Matthews. The Ravens liked him when he got cut by Green Bay. He ultimately signed with the, the uh, Rams. Suggs is on the market. I don't think there's a Ravens reunion coming. I think he's going to end up retiring. But who knows? I mean, so there are guys that the Ravens could turn to. Vontez Perfect. I mean, not a a great guy, but he's on the market. Uh, Marcus Golden. There are guys on the market that the Ravens could go after. And I think the Ravens should definitely explore some of the opportunities here. Okay. Um, But is it going to happen? It's tough. It's really tough. Because some of these, I mean, honestly, these pass rushers, the market seems extremely saturated with them. And a lot of them, like, why would you pay some of these guys this money? I mean, you even look back, you even look back to, um, who was it the Ravens lost? Um, maybe last year, but it was, I think it was Darius Smith and he earned, what was it? An 80 some million dollar contract, almost fully guaranteed. No, it was like 60 some million, like almost fully guaranteed. I don't think he earned that prior, but you know, he really did after the fact. But the point is, I mean, you have some of these pass rushers who are taking contracts way over their worth. Way over their worth. They're not worth some of these contracts. We can't overpay just to have a pass rusher. It'd be stupid to do that. It'd be very stupid to do that. So I don't think the Ravens are going to want to do that, first of all. I don't think they're dumb enough to do something like that. Um, And honestly, there's no pass rusher on the market right now that makes me want to throw out all of our cap space to go get him. So ultimately, you know, I... Unless Clowney, unless Griffin, unless even Clay Matthews signs for a three million dollar prove it deal or whatever, maybe even five or six, we're not making another signing. Although I'd like to make another signing, I don't think it's at this point, I don't think it's gonna happen unless somebody takes a lot less money than than they think they're worth. Because we're not gonna just sign another guy like Pranel McPhee. Right? If you're gonna sign another pass rusher, you wanna sign somebody, you know, who really you can kinda count on a little bit more. I mean Clowning, you can't really count on that much, I guess, because his his production has not been very good last year. But um, you know, there's a lot of potential. I mean, well, you can count on him more than maybe Pernell McPhee, let's say, right? He he's had better production in more recent years. He's had a slump here, but you can count on him more than Pernell McPhee. But it, but for what twelve or whatever million he's going to want, we we're not taking it. We're not taking it unless he takes. I'll I'll take him for six. That's it. $6 million a year is absolutely tops for one of these pass rushers. Um, and, of course, we've got some young rookies, um, not rookies, second-year players, third-year players that I, I, I like and want to see play. You know, Ty Spouser, too. What's he going to do? Let's let's find out. That's going to be the real question. But now, of course, let's head on in to the real story of the week. It's the, it's the schedule. Everyone wants to know what the schedule is going to be like. So... If you missed a schedule announcement last night, I didn't write an article on it because I mean I'm not I just didn't feel like reiterating the schedule. Everybody already had it, but we're gonna talk about it here. So unless you if you didn't see it if, if you're living under a rock that's okay I've got it for you right here. This is the schedule. Okay, the rate actually it looks like we're starting a week later than we usually do. Usually it's like the first week of September. This is actually the second week of September. So the Ravens are going to start at home against the Cleveland Browns on September 13th at 1 p.m. Interesting matchup there, obviously. Um, Cleveland has supposedly been a challenge to the Ravens. It's supposed to have been, at least, for, what, the past couple of years? Didn't pan out that way. Um, well, actually, you can argue 2018 they were. A real thorn in our side, actually, in 2018. Did we sweep them? I don't think... I think we lost them the first time, right? We lost them the first time in Cleveland. And then it came down to the wire in Baltimore. So, okay, I'll give you that. But last year was a joke. They were a joke last year. A complete joke. It was really funny, actually. I enjoyed watching them completely fail. Uh, That that fan base got so annoying. That fan base got extremely annoying. I was rooting for the Browns to, to rebuild, but that fan base was so annoying through that process. And now... Um, you know, there's, there's other fan bases out in the West who I'm not really going to talk about, but you, you, anyone on Twitter knows who I'm talking about. Um, they wear red. Anyway, then the next week, Sunday, September 20th, it, it's like kind of a pseudo primetime game. It's the 425 kickoff. So it's like not everybody's playing, but there are still other teams that are playing, but it's against Houston. So that's at Houston. Okay. Um, I like that matchup in the second week. I think it's going to be the exciting one out of the first two. Um, Actually, there's a few exciting ones here in the first three weeks. Really, there's a couple exciting ones. So we've got, excuse me, here. Um, We've got Houston, four twenty-five. Keys to the game. It's going to be too early to tell, but you know, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, two mobile quarterbacks going at it. Should be fun to watch. Then, of course, you got the highly anticipated matchup. Monday night football, Kansas City Chiefs coming to Baltimore, September 28th at 8:15 p.m. kickoff. This is going to be the game I think of the entire first half before the bye week. I've been saying it for for quite a, a few months now that Kansas City and Baltimore are the new and like extra extra divisional rivalry. So they're outside the division rivalry, okay? We've had the Colts and the the Patriots. We've had the Cowboys and the Niners. It's now the Chiefs And the Ravens, because they're going to be at each other's throats for the next few years here with Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson going at it with Andy Reid and John Harbaugh going at it. The coaches, you know, wide receivers, Marquise Brown, Tyreek Hill. I mean, they're two teams that play very well. They have good philosophies, somewhat similar philosophies, if you look at some of the ways they do things. Um, Obviously, because the coaching tree connections there between Harbaugh and Reid, Harbaugh coached Reid for quite a while. Um, But, you know, these are two teams projected to kind of be at the top of the conference for a while and the Ravens are going to try to knock off the Chiefs as, as Super Bowl champions, of course, um, or as AFC champions, a- AFC champions, and move into that position as the top dog in the AFC. We'll see if that can happen. Um, you know, we haven't beaten the Chiefs. I don't think we've beaten the Chiefs in the Lamar Jackson era just yet. So it, it's a bit, Honestly, say it's probably a must win because you want to have that dominance early in the season. If you run the table 3-0 and right here, you're on a really hot streak. Heading into, honestly, not the worst schedule in the world, and we'll get into that now. You've got Washington, October 4th, at 1 p.m. Sunday. Uh, That should not be the worst game in the world. Washington is kind of in a rebuild mode, so I I don't really see them being a, a super big threat unless they kind of emerge randomly as a contender here, as some teams do when they're rebuilding. I mean, sometimes you see a team that's not supposed to compete, just all of a sudden compete with everybody. It happens. But on paper, this shouldn't be that big of an issue for the Ravens. Cincinnati October 11th. I mean, they got Joe Burrow, but that's about it. They're not going to do that much, honestly. I don't think so. So, they'll be in Baltimore, October 11th at 1 p.m. Then Sunday, October 18th, we get we go to Philly. And if you know so far, it's home away, home away, home away, home is the next game. So you got a kind of a nice, evenly balanced thing there, almost like you know, it's Thanos making the making the uh, the schedule here. So we're at Philadelphia at 1 p.m. Sunday, October 18th. That should be a fun game. Honestly, maybe I I might be able to go to that game now that I'm thinking about it based on the date. I'd have to check. Uh, And then the next week, we have Pittsburgh at home. Now, I really want us to have another primetime game with Pittsburgh at home. It just feels like we haven't had that in years. I saw a tweet. Someone said it was six years. I can't verify that, but it feels like at least six years um, since that's happened. I mean, I love having primetime games with Pittsburgh, period, but I want to have one at home. And I don't I just we're not getting one this year, apparently, unless it gets flexed. That's a one PM game, October twenty-fifth. Um Yeah. And then we have the bye week. So at this point, at the bye week, we have some tough games. I'm gonna say Houston, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh are gonna be our toughest games. Philadelphia is probably a toss-up, but the Cincinnati, Washington, and Cleveland are probably all wins. At least. So, you know, let's just say we come out with maybe what? In those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks, we come out with at least five, maybe six wins. I could see six, five, five wins is probably more conservative. Six wins is probably um, a little bit more aggressive there. And of course, you know, things are going to change between now. These positions are going to get thrown out the window eventually. But I'm just saying, preliminary here, I, I like how the schedule is, is functioning here. Indianapolis. Sunday, November 8th, takes us out of the bye week. Um, I don't think that's going to be very difficult of a game. Then we get into the fun part of the schedule. We get, at this point, four primetime games over the next five weeks. So the first one, Sunday, November 15th, at New England, Sunday night football, 8.20pm kickoff against Bill Belichick, Jared Stidham, and co they're going to try and take revenge on us for this year's Sunday night game in Baltimore. Don't know if they're going to be able to pull off the revenge factor, but they're going to try new England, obviously a proud franchise. They don't want to lose at Gillette, especially to a team like the Ravens who've never been afraid of, of the Patriots at Gillette. Never, ever, ever been afraid of the Patriots at Gillette. It's never worked out for, um, well, it's worked out for New England quite a lot, but it's never really worked out for them. If they count us out, um, you just look back at the playoff history. First of all, it's just pretty crazy there. So we're not afraid of them. I think we can win that game. We might lose that game, but we can win it. And people are going to say, whoa, they don't even have Tom Brady anymore. Why would you even say that we might lose? They're going to suck next year. Listen, this is Bill Belichick we're talking about. Bill Belichick is, in my honest opinion, the best football coach to ever coach the game. He's going to find ways to win. I don't care if he is Tom Brady. I don't care if he is Nathan Peterman, a quarterback. He's going to find ways to win, okay? So we can't discount the Patriots. It's going to be a tough matchup, no matter what you say. Might be pivotal for for playoff positioning later down in the road here. So that's the November 15th matchup, Sunday Night Football at New England. Then, of course, we go back to a 1 p.m. game, um, or last 1 p.m. game of this small stretch here. Sunday, November 22nd versus Tennessee. Thank God it's 1 p.m. because if we get stomped on by Derrick Henry again, I don't want the national audience to see that. uh, But I don't think we get stomped on by Derrick Henry anymore. We beefed up the line. We beefed up quite a bit of the defense linebacker. We got one of the best run stuffers in the draft in Patrick Queen. So it shouldn't be a Derrick Henry destruction fest. It should be a much better game. I think the Ravens might even come out on top of Tennessee here. And then we go to Pittsburgh for Thursday night football, uh, 8 20 PM. And this is November 26th. And what's November 26th? Oh, that's Thanksgiving. We're having a Thanksgiving matchup against Pittsburgh. Do you guys remember the last time we had a Thanksgiving matchup against Pittsburgh? You know, it was at home, which I would have preferred for this game. But this is the Jacoby Jones down the sideline. Mike Tomlin tries to trip him game. That was one of my all-time favorite Ravens games. All One of my all-time favorite Ravens games on Thanksgiving. We're getting a Thanksgiving rematch. Um, I guess Ben's gonna be playing if he's even healthy at this point so we got Ben versus Lamar Thanksgiving it should be so fun I think we'll probably pull ahead of that one um but I can't that that's probably that's the matchup I'm circling probably is my favorite on this entire on this entire list then of course we get another Thursday night game the next week we get two Thursday nights in a row Dallas we go into Dallas at 20 p.m that should be fun. Um, you got, of course, Dak Prescott. Some of the better players down there, Dak Prescott. You got CeeDee Lamb coming in, former teammate of Marquise Brown. Zeke Elliott. You know, you got – we got J.K. Damas on the roster now. So you got a lot of these guys who played at some of the same colleges. Um, you know, it, it should be an overall fun game in Dallas. That might be a little bit more difficult. I think Dallas is going to be much better this year than they were last year under Mike Mc- now with Mike McCarthy, head coach. Um, so we should see how that goes out. Then, of course, we've got the final – Final primetime game of the season: Monday Night Football at Cleveland, eight fifteen p.m. on December fourteenth. So we're getting into Christmas territory here. That should be fun. I love Monday Night Football. I'm glad we get one at home against Kansas City. No doubt. On we got we get the good we get the good weather one. A September twenty eighth Monday Night Football match should be warmer than a December fourteenth uh, Monday Night Football matchup. And that one's in Cleveland. So on the wa- like Cleveland's right on one of the Great Lakes. I don't even know which Cle- Great Lake it is. I should, but I don't. Um, I think it's like Erie. But anyway, they're right on the Great Lake. It's going to be windy, probably. It's going to be cold. So we get the nice, warm weather one. They get the really sucky weather one. Uh, hopefully, we can win that game. You never know with a primetime game in enemy territory, though. Especially someone like Cleveland. You could go either way. Um, then we go into some of the... Honestly, it's super easy. And, well... You say it's easy now, but I mean this should be an easy way to end the season. We get Jacksonville who's in complete rebuild mode December 20th at 1 p.m. The New York Giants also in rebuild mode at December 27th at home 1 p.m. game, and then we go to Cincinnati to finish the season January 3rd at 1 p.m. So overall my take on the schedule is I give it a Linfant seal of approval. I like it. I like the five prime time games. I would have preferred that they were spread out a little bit more, but I, I think I'm going to really enjoy that five-week stretch where we get four primetime games. Um, you know, I might have finals at that point, so I hope I don't get too crazy with that. Um, but I really like it. I think the best matchup, is the most fun matchup is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers matchup on Thanksgiving at Pittsburgh. That's going to be the most fun. The most intriguing matchup, uh, honestly, might be Philadelphia, October 18th at Philly, their team, I think, going to be under the radar a little bit. Same thing with Dallas. That Thursday night matchup might be fun as well, um, but under the radar. Game I really want to go to that's under the radar, though, is going to be that New York Giants game. Uh, I Living in a, the part of New Jersey where everybody's a Giants fan, I have some friends, some family that are Giants fans, um, so I, I'd like to see the Giants lose in person to the Ravens. That'd be kind of fun. Maybe I'll go down there with somebody. Um, have some fun with that. I should, should be out of school by then, too, on Christmas break, so that wouldn't be the biggest issue. Um, most pivotal matchup though is gonna be that Kansas City week week three. That that will be the litmus test for the Ravens. You would imagine Baltimore wins in Cleveland. You imagine they maybe win in Houston. I mean, they were so dominant last year. I'm hesitant to say they're gonna be dominant again like that this year. I just don't know about that. It seems kind of improbable to have two straight years of complete dominance like that. But you know they beat they 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 destroyed Houston last year. So if you go by last year, they should destroy Houston again. But you can't really go by last year with this kind of stuff. Um. So you, you would think they beat Houston, but we have to see. But I think the most pivotal matchup is going to be that Kansas City game. It's going to be the litmus test. We need to see how the Ravens perform, okay? The Ravens perform well against Kansas City. If they beat Kansas City, this year is going to shape up to be a really good year. So long as we don't kind of choke it away in the end. So long as we don't get injured, that kind of thing. But overall, I like it. I like the schedule. We already knew who the opponents were going to be. But I like the way it's structured. I think... Baltimore should have another playoff year we probably win the division again I don't see Pittsburgh being a threat really at all they kind of have petered off in the past couple of years I don't see Cleveland being a threat I don't see Cincinnati being a threat I think this should be one of the easier years in the division um, I bet Cleveland comes in second though I bet they have a little bit of an uptick with Kevin Stefanski there they probably go eight and eight maybe even nine and may they might get a winning year They might get nine and seven we'll see but I don't think they win the division. I think we kind of walk away with it 11-5, 12-4. and, 5, 12 and 4. I'd love to see another 14-2 season. I'd love to see an undefeated season. But to even say that at this point, I think is somewhat unrealistic. So let's go with super preliminary 11-5. No, no, no. Let's go to 12-4. Let's go to 12-4. Um, of course, I'll do my real predictions when we get closer to the season, when we see training camp and everything in the preseason. And the preseason, that reminds me, the preseason. I have to talk about this, too, because it's part of the Ravens' schedule. Um, and that's assuming a preseason happens. So of course we still are dealing with coronavirus and in my mind, you know, the, the, the the NFL wants a preseason to happen, but in my mind, I would imagine that there's a good chance a preseason doesn't happen. And I think it's starting, um, maybe even later than usual. We'll have to see, but the, the Buffalo bills here, we play them sometime between August 13th and August 17th, uh, at home. And then we play the Dallas Cowboys sometime between August 20th and August 24th. So, it, I mean, who knows how the schedule is going to pan out with all these, like, sometime-in-betweens. Um, that's supposed to be at Dallas. So we also play Dallas in the regular season. That's interesting and important to note. Um, then we go and have the Panthers at home, and they actually gave us a, an exact date for this, August 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So that should be fun. And then... We go at Redskins. I feel like we... Do we play the Redskins every year? As long as I can remember, we've played the Redskins in the preseason. It just feels like we do. I'm pretty sure we do because they're so close to us. Um, right down the DMV there. We play them sometime between September 3rd and September 4th. No time to be announced. So, obviously, the preseason doesn't matter for the regular season schedules. But I would like to see showings from a lot of uh, undrafted free agents. From you know some of the new guys, some of the draftees, maybe some of the veterans we bring in that you know even Pranel McPhee, see how he's doing off the injury, see how Matt Skur is doing off the injury, assuming Matt Skur even plays in the preseason. Um, and you know I always like I people probably don't understand why I say this, but I like the preseason. I've always liked the preseason precisely because it gives us an insight to these players, and the players make the team. Well. I mean, you can't discount the coaching. The coaching is extremely important. I've always said that. Coaching is extremely important. I don't think you can win a Super Bowl without a decent enough coaching. But the players are really the ones that are going to pull things together. The coaches can scheme all they want, but if they have players that don't follow their scheme or don't fit their scheme, they're not going to win. So it's kind of a balance between those guys. So we need to see the players do well, um, the new players. And, of course, the Ravens have that streak of undrafted rookie free agents, okay, coming in and making the, the team Year after year, so we'll have to see what happens there, um, and I'm excited for it. I, I want to see football back. I, I liked watching the XFL. That's gone. I just want my football back at this point. I want any sport back, really. I mean, it's to the point where watching the Michael Jordan documentary is my my fix for for any sport. That, that you know, and that happened what 30? Well, not 30 years ago, but some of the basketball things that happened in there. You know, you see games from like 1984 or 1990s, or so 30 some years ago, some of those. It, it, it <laughs> It's just, uh, just kind of crazy what we're dealing with right now. But everybody, that's going to be the end of the Nest Talk episode. I don't even know what episode we're on right now. You'll see it in the episode title. I think it's like 77 or something like that. Nest Talk episode. I'm checking right now. Nest Talk episode 76. That was close. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Give it a rating, a thumbs up, a five-star rating. Um, comment on our YouTube channel if you're there. Give us anything you want us to talk about. Of course, you can tweet us at Nest Talk at Be More Feather on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Chris Linfund on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, no, Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk, and go to BaltimoreFeather.com for, for my Ravens articles. And of course, you can also find the podcast there if you just want to check in weekly on that. Um, stay safe in coronavirus, everybody. We're almost through this. We're, we're going to get through it by the end of the summer. I, I guarantee it. Uh, and I'll see you. I I want to say next week, but honestly, I don't know. I only record these podcasts in the off season, in the dead zone, especially. Like, this is the dead zone, for those of you that don't know or are really new to the NFL game here. There ain't nothing happening in here until minicamp, which might even be canceled, okay, until some of these camps happen. So, um, if there's not enough Ravens news to talk about, we won't have an episode, and I would probably say that on Twitter. If there is enough Ravens news to talk about, we will have an episode, whether it's recorded Thursday night, Friday morning, um... Probably Thursday nights, actually, now that I think about it. But we'll see what happens in the future. Um, But thank you for listening to the Nest Talk Podcast. We'll see you sometime again in the near future. Um, Let's get to the preseason soon so we can get some football back, and let's get rid of COVID-19 so we can ensure we have a preseason and a regular season and a Super Bowl. I want to have a full NFL season without any coronavirus worries. So everybody, stay safe, be healthy, and we'll get through this.